Thank you for dropping your anchor with HarborCast as our Harbor family continues to glorify and enjoy God together. You asked the questions, and now we look forward to getting to know Him better through Scripture and Christ-centered interpretation. Hey everyone, and Merry Christmas. Uh, this week's Harbor cast is a little bit different. Uh, we wanted to share with you uh, two talks that happened at uh, our Christmas morning service. Uh, this is M-O-U-R-N, uh, where we uh, give some space for some lament, especially during the holidays. And uh, the first is going to be coming from uh, Candy Brasto, who's the wife of one of our missionaries that we support, and just her personal testimony. And then um, I'll be doing a brief homily um, <clears throat> looking at uh, Psalm 62. So I hope you enjoy. Uh, Heavenly Father, I ask that as, uh, as we turn now to your word, Lord, that you would speak to us clearly. Lord, that we would hear, um, we'd hear your voice. And Lord, we respond, Lord, to teach us, grow us, give us comfort. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So the hit fall song of 1965 uh, was very much unlike uh, the summer hits. That year, uh, Hang On Sloopy was summer hit. So was Ticket to Ride. Um, in fact, the song in the fall wasn't even a particularly pleasant song at all. Very few people really even liked it, except when a local DJ somewhere actually added a drum track to it, and then it started to take off. But it, it captured people's attention in a way that few songs really ever have. The, the lyric that particularly caught me was this, 10,000 people, maybe more, people talking without speaking, people hearing without listening. It's a song about silence, or as ironically the title um, declares the sound of silence. Not actually silence, but as that line that I just read to you, it, it's describing the inability to communicate the inside turmoil with people in the outside world. It was a, the reason why it captured people's attention was because it was, it was a lament, unlike all the other songs. And it spoke to people who felt trapped, isolated, perhaps even lonely. And and the passage we're going to be looking at tonight is something like that Simon and Garfunkel song. It, it's a lament about silence. I'm just going to read you just the first two verses, so I'll, we'll be skipping around uh, the rest of the psalm. The first two verses go like this. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. Before us tonight is simply the question, what does it mean to wait in silence? Well, let's back up a little bit and just understand the psalm in context. Uh, we know that David wrote this psalm, uh, says it in the introduction of the, of the psalm, and that, that's helpful because we know quite a bit about David's own life, and he experienced plenty of things that are fairly lamentable. Uh, he was a soldier. He was also the head of state, which means that he had seen a lot of things. He had seen bloodshed. He had been uh, the, the victim of an abusive king who would fly into a rage and throw spears at him. That same king would chase him all around the Middle East. 
he also lost his best friend, Jonathan. David sometimes had to hide in desert caves. Sometimes he had to live among enemies and pretend that he was crazy so that they wouldn't kill him too. His own son rebelled against him and openly shamed him in public. He also lost an infant son. At times, people cursed him and pelted him with rocks. His whole country was stricken by sickness, and it was all his fault. So we don't see every human grief in David's life, but I'm sure that if you worked hard enough, you'd find whatever grief you may have connect with something in David's own story. So he's fairly relatable. Now, while it's uncertain as to the circumstances of why David wrote Psalm 62 or what he was thinking of, we definitely know that it's born out of some kind of grief. Uh, Verse 3 gives a hint of that. It says that people are attacking David, even though he is like a tottering fence, a neighbor whose fence, the, the, the pylon was starting to rot at the bottom, and so the fence had started to lean so that it just took one puppy dog or one kid and the whole thing was going to go over. And, and what David is saying is, in the middle of my grief, that's what I'm like. I'm, I'm like halfway leaning to, and everybody is kicking me when I'm down. And these same people are two-faced about it. They, verse 4 says, they bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. Have you ever had somebody who pretended to be your friend only to betray your confidence? Now, all this sounds rather horrible. So why is David waiting in silence? It's a few, perhaps, options that we have. Perhaps, number one, David is waiting in silence because he's unable or perhaps unwilling to speak. Maybe he's not saying anything. Perhaps David fails to have any words to say. It's like there's this internal noise going on within him, but it's unable to work its way to the surface. My grandfather was was injured during World War II, and uh, shrapnel had riddled his body. And my mom would talk about how sometimes he'd be watching television and be picking at something at his arm, and then he'd pull out a piece of Japanese steel that had embedded in there, and this is like the 1980s. Sometimes the scars that we have, they're not on the skin, they're deep within. And sometimes they don't surface for years. My wife knows that, that my wife knows when I'm upset is when I become quiet. It's because it's a bit of a defense mechanism. Most guys, I think, act this way. Um, we don't want to talk about what's bothering us because if we talk about it, then it feels real. And I can't handle that. I don't want to relive it again. I don't want to talk too much about losing my mom back in 2019 or the innocence that I lost when I was five. For that very reason, I don't want to go back there. I'd rather just be silent and hold it all in. Perhaps that's what David's going through. Perhaps that's why he waits in silence, because he doesn't want to relive all these things. Maybe, perhaps, number two, he's waiting in silence because he's not being heard. See, in in Psalm 35, verse 22, a similar psalm that David wrote, it says this, You have seen, O Lord, be not silent. O Lord, be not far from me. Notice the association between uh, God speaking and God being close. So if I don't hear God, perhaps he's not present. Perhaps 
David is saying, I'm waiting in silence because it doesn't sound like God is saying anything or doing anything. David waits in darkness for an answer to his distress, but perhaps he hears nothing. Where are you, God? Why don't you speak? Why don't you act? Why don't you come now? And how long am I going to have to wait? Verse 4 says the only people that David is hearing right now are the two-faced people, the people who are, who are blessing with their mouths but yet cursing them in, on, on their inside. In other words, the outside world we know is rather noisy. But God, especially in grief, oftentimes feels very silent. It's the sound of silence that the song says grows like a cancer. It's the waiting with no explanation and no answer. That's what feels unbearable. It's like getting stuck in a waiting room and you're trying to pass the time by maybe distracting yourself with your phone or perhaps you start getting angry because somebody is making you wait here and you don't want to be there anymore. And in life, to use the metaphor, that would be God. I've met very few people who have, who have given up on God for intellectual reasons. Oftentimes, even the ones that seem like they have, oftentimes what I find is that they felt like there was something that they wanted from God and it didn't seem like he gave it to them. It didn't answer their prayers. They're angry. Ironically enough, they're angry at a God whom they've chosen to disbelieve. So we're left with a rather terrible dilemma. Either we sit alone in silence and distract ourselves, or we rage on. But what if the silence is there for a different reason? The first words, you probably picked up on it already, the first words of the song, Sound of Silence, it, it sounds rather chilling. Hello, darkness, my old friend. Right? Oftentimes when you hear that, people think of death. It's very grotesque, right? But actually, it's about Paul Simon's bathroom. You see, he would go to his bathroom with his guitar, and he would turn the lights off, and he would turn the faucet on, and, and because everything was super noisy, and he wanted to get away with it all, get away from it all, so he would sit in the darkness. So, so in the first line, hello, darkness, my old friend, he's actually excited to be in the darkness because the darkness was a refuge. It was a source of comfort. The silence that David sits in is not his destruction, but it's actually his refuge. And that ultimately answers the question why David is sitting in silence. Let me unpack that in three ways. First of all, David sits in silence because he knows that God is going to hear him. Psalm 55, verse 17, evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. David knows that God is there. Second, David waits in silence because he recognizes God's greatness. His silence is actually humility. He was in no place as a mere human being to demand anything of God or to tell God how to run things in his universe and that's oftentimes the problem with us, too. Every single one of us, we want to be God because we think, ultimately, that we could run things better than he can. 
David chooses a path of meekness. Third, David waits in silence because he's waiting for something more than momentary relief. Remember, he's a tottering fence. He can't defend himself. He, he can't change what's happened in the past. David's hope is not a quick fix. After all, he, he could have said, um, I'm waiting, Lord, for you to do X and Y and Z. He doesn't, he doesn't say that. I think David even anticipates the road is not going to be particularly smooth. In, in verse 2, he says, be greatly shaken. It implies something. It implies he, he knows he's going to be shaken, just not greatly shaken. The world is not a particularly gentle place. But it won't be the final word. Why? Because David waited in silence because only when everything else is stripped away, and my pride and my self-medicating and my anger and despair, only when that has been stripped away, that there he could encounter his old friend, his maker, sustainer, and redeemer. I remember once skinning my knee while riding a bike, typical boy thing to do, um, and I found myself crying. I was getting to that age where it wasn't quite appropriate to cry yet, but I still cried anyway. And I remember my mom hugging me. I have a very distinct memory of this. It was my house on Echo Drive in, in Mayfield. And, um, and, and hot tears are going down my face. And, and for the first time, I realized something. I realized one thing, that my knee didn't actually hurt all that bad. Like, I could actually get over this if I had to. But, but the second thing is that I, I just wanted my mom, right? Like, I, and, and my mom would grab onto me and hold on to me, and she would hold on until everything was better, right? I'm 41. I still want my mom to do that. Because it, it, it's the... It's, it's the pain, right? It's the skin knee that, that awakens your desire for the thing that you want most. There's something ingrained in you and me that needs one person, one thing above all else. Ian Thomas, preacher and writer, says, Man was so engineered by God, the presence of the Creator is indispensable to his humanity. I'm not fully human unless I am in the presence of God. David doesn't need to just hear a plan. He perhaps thinks maybe in this life, God will make it better. Maybe it will be in the next life. But God is trustworthy enough that his presence confirms that everything will be sorted out in the end. Some scars will not heal in this life. I'm sorry to say. So what is the hope then? The hope then is that God is good enough and powerful enough to do what Sam Gamgee wanted and looked for at the end of Lord of the Rings. Will God one day make everything sad become untrue? Well, how do I know that? How do I know that's really going to happen, right? Because of Christmas, that's why. 
See, beyond the packages and the, and the tired tunes that we've heard again and again and again, Christmas is a story about how eternal God and creator became one of us, his creation. Born into all the miseries of this life that you and I experience. He knew it all. And he said a lot of things, teaches a lot of things. But you know, I think some of the most memorable times Jesus being here on earth was in his silence. He was silent when he was arrested. He was silent when the chief priests brought false accusations against him. He was silent when he was sent to Pilate. He was silent again when he was sent to Herod. He was silent again when he went back to Pilate and only spoke when he really needed to. And and at the cross, he offered no argument, no plea. It was what was predicted in Isaiah 42, that the suffering servant of God, who would be God's own heart's desire, he will not cry aloud or lift his voice. A bruised reed he will not break. He will faithfully bring forth justice. And here's the promise. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Jesus will not stop. He will not let go until everything is better. And at the last moments, as Christ is hanging on the cross, Jesus finally cries out, quoting Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's in that moment that the true silence of God was actually felt. In every single way in which we may have suffered and we may have felt like God's not listening, God's not hearing, oh, I guarantee you he is. Because there's only been one time in which God has truly forsaken one of his own. And it was for your and my salvation. Jesus experienced at that moment what we truly fear most the true absence of the goodness of God. And this resulted in judgment for sin on him rather on us, so that that would never be our reality. That even if our pains never go away in this life, God does not forsake us. He makes all things new one day. Jesus' silence meant our rescue. That was a song of his silence. That God would go to extreme lengths to rescue you. And because that's true, he will not disappoint you and you will not be put to shame. That's why God is worthy of your trust and faith and confidence, love and worship. And perhaps he's even worthy of your waiting. So tonight, if you find yourself in darkness... Would you look to the light of Christ? You may still have grief, but you have an old friend in God if you trust in him who frees you to be able to talk, to be able to share, to be able to even find refuge in the pain. And if you find yourself doing pretty well, but you know someone who isn't, listen well. Wait for God to do the work. It may be a couple days, a couple hours, maybe a few years. But he who gave his only son is worthy not only of our honor, but of our trust. Let's pray. Um, Lord Jesus, you in fact 
are good and worthy of, worthy of all worship. Lord, I pray as we bring our complaints to you and our griefs to you, you who are a man of sorrows and acquainted with our griefs, Lord, take them. Help us to cast them upon your shoulders, Lord, because we know that you care for us. Lord, I pray, please, that you give us hope. Jesus' name we pray. Thank you again for dropping your anchor with HarborCast. Please visit us on the web at harborchurch.org for more information about what we believe, what we do to serve our community, and how you can get involved in our mission here in Mooresville. And finally, follow HarborCast wherever you listen to podcasts. May the Lord continue to equip you to share the good news about Jesus. Jesus.